That's a good reminder, amen? Amen. You know, we, uh, we are in a, a culture, uh, in a day and age, uh, where cost and price uh, is all around us. We're inundated with, with things. I mean, you can't go a day without seeing some sign, oftentimes, many times, that tells you how much something costs, you know, a gallon of gas, uh, specials, you know, and at the store, and where you shop, you know, it's just part of our culture. And, and there's nothing wrong with, we got to know how much things cost. That's part of life for us. Um, but as followers of Jesus Christ, um, I want to make sure that we understand here at the beginning of a new year, the cost for following Jesus Christ. Um, because one thing about Jesus was he was very upfront and honest with what he was telling people and asking people to get involved with. Um, in fact, Jesus, he, he spoke of this regularly. Um, about counting the cost. And so um, in 2021 here in January, where our first sermon series are five biblical principles um, of, of how to have a strong 2021. And, and we're into the, like, the third one that Paul outlines in Philippians chapter three. He does a great job getting very practical with what is expected to follow Christ. And so we're learning today, the uh, two part sermon today and next Sunday, about the price of the prize. And, and I guess where I'm at in my walk with Christ is I'm realizing if this is not costing me something every day, then I'm not doing it right. Amen? I mean, if I'm, if I'm reading the, the words in red that our worship team just led us in song about, and I'm, I'm looking at Jesus' life, then I'm realizing that, that there's this battle every day to be one of two types of a Christian. Either a really good plastic Christian or a real obedient sacrificial Christian. Um, because Jesus Christ was sacrificial. I'm, I'm talking about way before the cross. He was selfless. In fact, the word of God says that he, he emptied himself. And so if I'm doing this right and I'm following Jesus right, then every day it's going to cost me something to my flesh that hurts. Amen? If you guys don't believe this, man, then that's, we need to talk. But, but that's what Christ, he calls us to die. And, and so I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at the church. I'm looking at what we're doing. Even in this weird COVID craziness, you know, how are we, how is this costing me something? You know, and, and it's, it's interesting that this is good for our development. It hurts. That James 1 talks about. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete in Christ. And, and, and the seven habits of highly effective people written by a, a very, you know, not necessarily a Christian author, and not saying it's not Christian, but it was not a Christian book, but it talks about the seven habits of the, some of the most successful leaders in America. And one of the things that they say is do something every day that scares you. And I think that ties in, in a way, uh, to truly following Christ, doing something out of the ordinary when you're busy with your work schedule and this and that. But I just want to challenge us today, and we're fixing to get into this, but how much are you spending on Christ? How much is Christ costing you every day? Because that's part of who we are and part of what should make us look different to the world when you're in a world of hoarders. 
So, so we'll go a little deeper with this. So today in the in the Miller household, it's a big day because my my youngest son turns sixteen today, um, and we're really excited about that. We've got some neat birthday stuff planned for the rest of the day. Um, but one thing that, that's really special that we've been waiting on for years is that tonight we're going to have a rite of passage meal for Jude, a 16-year-old. And I've done this with his two older brothers. Uh, and it's a time when we get together, and we're gonna, I'm going to grill steaks, and his two older brothers are going to be there from Birmingham, and his, both of his granddads are going to be there. and We're going to be zooming in a couple of other people that have been very influential in Jude's life through the years. Um, and these men around Jude this evening, around the table, are mentors. They've been speaking into Jude's life. They've been loving on him. They've been encouraging him. And um, this, the, the origin to this was a man who mentored me, who did this with his son years ago. And it's kind of taken from the Jewish heritage of the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah, mm-hmm. when a young man or a child moves from childhood to manhood. And so, so that's the vision that we're casting. And it's not just a one-time thing. Oh, great. Hey, you're a man. But, but we have, I've been careful to put godly men in the lives of each of my sons. And my daughter, godly women, for her that she can rely on and that my sons can rely on. But that those men can be like monkey bars in life as we move forward so that there's going to, Lord willing, be times in their life when they can't come to meet with things. But there's going to be a safety net of men that I trust, that I trust with my life to speak into to Jude's life. And I asked him permission to share this with you. Um, but I'm really excited about that. And, and I really think it has a lot to do with the church and what God has called us to. Um, because, you know, personally, I, I believe that, that we all, each one of us need a modern day hero. Each one of us need a mentor, someone more mature in the faith to, to challenge us and to love us and to cry with us and to laugh with us and to hang out with us. And, um, and to be honest with you, to be honest with you, these mentors, um, you know, you've ever heard the story of the emperor's new clothes, this guy's walking around and he doesn't have clothes on and everybody's going along with it because he wants everybody to go along with it. But people are like, man, this, this is not right. You know, well, you need people to get in your face and tell you what's not right in your life in a loving way. Um, because, you know, I've heard it said, I forgot who said this, but the critic is the unpaid guardian of your soul. And so, uh, but we got to do that in a loving way. We can't gossip and talk about people behind their back. We need to go to their face so that we can learn. And, and that's really God's plan for each one of us to have that, that mentor. Um, and, and there's actually research that, that talks about how everybody does better with mentors. You know, that in fact, there's a, a pastor friend of mine in Birmingham, and he was getting his doctorate. He was talking about a friend of his who got his doctorate. He did his dissertation on the fact, he said, what, you know, what does it take? What are the key factors that takes someone to remain strong, a child to remain strong in their faith through adolescence and to carry it on? through adulthood? What are some practical factors that it takes? Because unfortunately, there's a high dropout rate of Christianity in young people today that grew up in a Christian home and then, oh my gosh, what happened to them? Not all of them, but it's too high. And so what they found in their research, this guy found, was that the number one thing that helps keep a young person strong in their faith through their teenage years, their childhood years, and then into adulthood, do you know what that is? It's having godly mentors that are not your parents. Friends that are older than them that encourage them in the faith. So the way I see that is you need that. I need that. Our kids need that. But you also need to be that. Because this world is going to hell in a handbag. 
And this world needs not only a Savior, of course, number one, but the Lord called his first disciples fishermen to catch men. And I think that, of course, goes for women too. That means let's lead people together. Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. So we all need someone that will walk this walk out with us to show us the way and the truth and the life. If not, then we're just going to grow to be spiritual babies. And that's in Scripture too. That's one thing that a mentor, that's one thing that a brother in Christ, doesn't matter chronologically how old you are, are you more mature in Christ? You can love on people and invest. And I want to encourage you to do that in 2021. If you don't do anything else practically, try to mentor one person for Jesus Christ. Just and, and don't just make it a rash decision, but pray about it for a week. Maybe the Lord's already put them on your heart. But say, Lord, who is it that there's one person at least, at least, one person that I can that I can spend time with weekly and monthly. And I'm just going to pour into them. We're going to have coffee. We're going to have lunch. And I'm going to be a brother to that person. Because I think every Christian should have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in your life. I think you need to have a Timothy, which is someone younger in the faith that you're, you're bringing up. Hey, brother, I love you. I want to mentor you. Uh, but you also need a Barnabas, who's someone on the same level as you, a strong brother, a strong sister in Christ. But then you also need a Paul, someone who's mentoring you. And I promise you, if you have a Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy figure in your life, it's going to be a lot harder for Satan to take you down. Because Satan is trying to take you down. I hear too many stories about precious, awesome people I love being taken out um, by sin. And we're all prone to sin. I am. I'm the first one to raise my hand. But that's one of the reasons why we need the church. And I get it. It's easier to sleep in. I get it. It's the truth. It is. Go to the Pillow Cathedral. I get it, guys. I'm tempted to. I was sitting in the morning this morning. My quiet time having coffee with my wife. I said, man, I wish I'd just love to sit here all day with you, sweetheart. I mean, I get it. I feel that pull, right? Not go to church. I get it. You're hearing it from the preacher, man. But that's not what God calls to. He calls us to be a part of a church family. And I'm so glad people are tuning in today that are they're not able to make it because of COVID concerns. We totally love you, and you're welcome here. Even you in Paraguay or Uruguay or Chile or Venezuela, God bless you. Um, it's not a coincidence that you're here. Um, but we all need the church. And you've heard the story of the guy that goes and, and there's this roaring fire in the fireplace and he takes the tongs and he takes one ember and it's burning and glowing hot and he puts it on the brick hearth and it sits there away from the rest of the, the fire and, and what happens to that one ember that's isolated? Burns out, grows cold. That's just what Satan wants. That's just what Satan wants, man. And so we've got to, oh, put it back in the fire. Okay, we're together. We're, we're strong church family. So these heroes, they come in all shapes and sizes. And uh, they have it by life. And, uh, and, and I'm very grateful for each one of them. And, and I remember the man who has molded me more than any other non-family member, he, he came from a rough childhood. Uh, he had a really rough upbringing. His dad was an alcoholic. And so he got his mentor in his life from a football coach. Praise God for our educators. Amen? God bless you guys. You just Maybe you do know, but maybe you don't know what an influencer you are. It's not a coincidence. Um, and so he would, he learned how to be a man of God and he had learned how to be a man, uh, by this coach and, and this guy mentored me and so many others. He was, he was a pastor in my life and he really took me under his wing and I, and I don't know where I'd be without him. He actually talking about really challenging each other. I mean, he used to actually literally spank my butt. 
and I deserve every lick I got. He was the headmaster in our Christian school. But um, I'm almost going to break out in sweat thinking about all the times he spanked me. But anyway, um, I believe that this church is, is full of heroes in our community. And I love each and every one of you. But be faithful to the task. Do something every day that hurts to show someone else the love of Christ that's bigger than you. Um, there'll be heaven to pay for the influence that you've had on earth as you lead people to Christ. Um, one dynamic duo that I want to talk about today that has really impacted my life um, is, is mentors that I haven't met yet. I, I look forward to meeting them in heaven. They, they, I've not met them personally, but it's Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And, and I really love these guys. In fact, I, I love them so much that my tagline on my email um, that I sent out when I sent out an email is, is a quote by Jim Elliott. And he says this, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every experience you believe to be the will of God. That was Jim Elliott. And, and I've read about the Elliots for years. In fact, Elizabeth Elliott's book, Passion and Purity, was kind of like the primer for my wife and I in our courting days. We both read it. And we had a, a we had a family that held us accountable in our relationship, which we needed. Um, and, and I'm grateful to God for that, so that we can maintain sexual purity. Uh, we were both virgins until we were married. Praise God that they this couple was our coach and they helped us in a lot of ways. Um, but Jim and Elizabeth Elliot really helped mentor Angela and I. And and the reason why I'm talking about the elements today, and the reason why I'm talking about mentoring, and I'm talking about impacting each other, is it has a lot to do with our sermon series today in Philippians chapter 3, um, as this man named Saul that was changed to Paul because he had a radical life transformation, as you know, burning churches on one hand, B.C., and then building churches after Christ got hold of him. But, but he talks about being all in for Christ. This is principle number three. If you want to have a strong 2021... You cannot do it unless you count the cost and you're all in for Christ. Um, and I just want to start off by saying I failed in this. So I'm learning from our successes and our failure. And I feel like in my, my earlier years, I was really good at giving pieces to God and fractions here to soothe my conscience. And then I realized through a turn of events when God pulled the rug out from under me, thankfully, that, that I was living my Christian walk for me and not for Christ. And he showed me that through some some really harsh but loving reality that I appreciate him him doing in my life as he exposed a lot in me. Um, and he continues to. Um, but but I wanted to share with you just a little bit about the elements this morning. Uh, and this is based on some information that I have that also that I've looked up this week on, on Wikipedia. Um, so we could go ahead and cue that first picture if that's okay. So so this is Jim Elliott. And um, in the summer of 1950, this is according to Wikipedia, while at Camp Wycliffe, Elliot practiced the skills necessary for writing down a language for the first time by working with a former missionary to the Quechua people. The missionary told him of the Huarani, also called the Aka, the Kichaka word for savage, which is a group of Ecuadorian indigenous people considered violent and dangerous to outsiders. Um, Elliot remained unsure about whether to go to Ecuador or India when he was a young man, uh, until July of that year, his parents and friends wondered if he might instead be more effective in youth ministry in the United States. But considering the home church well-fed, he felt the international missions would take precedent and priority in his life. 
Now, continuing, uh, Elliot and another missionary arrived in Ecuador on February 21st, 1952, with the purpose of evangelizing Ecuador's Quechua Indians. They first stayed in Quito, the capital, and then they moved to the jungle. They took up residence at the Shandia Mission Station. On October 8th, 1953, he married fellow missionary Elizabeth Howard, moving and then moving ahead in their life a little bit. Jim Elliott and these four other missionaries, Ed McCauley, Roger Uterin, Pete Fleming, and their pilot, Nate Saint, um, they, if we go ahead and cue the second picture, they were, um, they, they tried to reach out to this group of, of Indians that did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Huarani. And they, they were really creative about how they did this. They used a basket uh, and a loudspeaker to pass down gifts while they were in their plane. They would fly in a circle, and they would have these gifts, and they would drop them, uh, just trying to make contact with this, this people. They were called savages by many. After several months, the men decided to build a base a short distance from the Indian village. They, they had researched this beach that they found along the river, and they could land their, their plane. Uh, which you have, we have a picture of here. Um, and, and they even gave a plane ride to one of the curious Huarani, whom they called George. His real name is Nia Kiwi. Encouraged by these friendly encounters, they began plans to visit the Huarani without knowing that Nia Kiwi had lied to the others about the missionaries' intentions. By the way, have you ever been lied about? It's okay, God covers that. Amen? Continuing on, their plans were preempted that day by the arrival of a larger group of about two, 10 who were running warriors who killed Jim Elliott and his four companions on January 8, 1956. Jim Elliott was the first of the five missionaries killed when he and Peter Fleming were greeted, um, were greeting two of those attackers and they showed themselves, they showed themselves pretending they were interested in taking plane rides with them. Elliott's body was found downstream along with those of the other men except that of Ed McCulley, which was found even further downstream. Um, in his journal, Jim Elliott, for that, that time, just before that happened. On October 28, 1949, he expressed his belief that work dedicated to Jesus was more important than his life. He quoted Luke 9, 24, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will save it. He wrote a famous quote that many people use. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He followed the journal entry with a quote from Luke 16, 9. It says that when it shall fail, they may receive you into everlasting homes. Life magazine published a 10-page article on Elliot's and his friend's mission and their deaths. It was a ministry of many people. After his death, Elizabeth Elliot and other missionaries began working among the Huarani where they continued their evangelistic work, end quote. The Elliot's life, Jim's death, and Elizabeth's life after his death showed the world that they understood and lived the price of the prize to follow Jesus Christ, which is the title of our sermon today. We have no idea how many people were impacted by their ministry and the seeds that were planted. We can show the next picture. Is Elizabeth Elliot with the Huarani children that she moved into. These same people that killed her husband. Think about that. They brutally spear your husband or your wife. And instead of you coming back with an armed militia to wipe them out, you die for them. You give your life for their children. 
you know, that really challenges me, you know. Um, I know what it's like to talk a big game. <laughs> I know what it's like to be on a mission field in India, in the jungle, or Africa, or wherever, where there's no police around. I get it, you know. But these folks lived it. You know, my mother-in-law went to work in their ministry about three years ago. It's still there, thriving along the Amazon and reaching out to people in South America. Another lady, another church is a nurse, a nursing professor at UAB. She went with a group. I mean, just, it's amazing how these guys, Jim and Elizabeth, they sowed their, their love for Christ into the hearts of these people with their blood, and, and it continues to make an impact. You know, there was even a major motion picture made in 2005 called the Into the Spear that told the story of the martyred pilot, Nate Saint. You can go ahead and cue the next picture. And the return of Saint's son attempting to reach the natives of Ecuador. This is Nate Saint's son and the man that he led to Christ who killed his dad. This is only the love of God, amen? Because only God can do this. And this is what God has called us to do here in Fort Payne. To truly give our lives to those around us. Because we're the same recipients of mercy that they are. We know better. We all need Jesus Christ. These guys just, just blow my mind. How they do what they do for Christ. And here's what further blows my mind. Jim had told the missionary men, those, the four guys that were on the plane that day. Because the, they came, they, they realized what they were doing. They were counting the cost and they... They talked about maybe bringing a gun with them. Jim Millian's response was, no way. Because if we shoot one of those natives without them understanding and receiving the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're doomed to eternal destruction. But if we die, we know where we're going. So think about this. They could have easily defended themselves there and on that beach that day. But they took the spears because they knew it was God's will to show the love for Christ. Not unlike their Lord and Savior who came, who could have wiped us all out 2,000 years ago with an airstrike from heaven. But instead he said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. These guys were lifers, men and women. They counted the cost, like Jesus tells us to do. And they said, yes, Lord, I am all in for you. This was not a, a week-long, short-term mission trip. Nothing wrong with that, to say the least. But, but this was a lifestyle. But they didn't just wait to the mission field to live. They lived here in the back roads and back streets of Grand Avenue, Galt Avenue, DeKalb County, wherever. And you could not separate their heart for the loss they had any more than you could separate their human heart from their body. To say they were serious about Christ was an understatement. They lived all in. Even though they were born into a sea of watered-down Christians and Christianity. In fact, there's this, God bless her, the story that Elizabeth tells through the lens of Brian Larson. says, in a slow and certain light, Elizabeth Elliot tells of two adventurers who stopped by to see her, all loaded with equipment for the rainforest east of the Andes. They sought no advice, just a few phrases to converse with the Indians. She writes, sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me. Confident, and we think well informed and well equipped. But has it occurred to us that with all of our accumulation of stuff, that something is missing? She suggests that we often ask for God, excuse me, we often ask for God for too little. 
We know what we need, a yes or no answer, please, to a simple question, or perhaps a road sign, something quick and easy to point the way. What we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, a few useful phrases are good things, but infinitely better is someone who has been there before and knows the way. You see, Elizabeth realized that too many times in the Christian journey, it's all about us. It's about our timetable. It's about shortcuts, quick fixes, convenience, how we want God to do something for us and fit him into our life. Unfortunately, many Christians follow Christ for the wrong reasons. But Jesus was used to that in Scripture. In fact, after the loaves and the fishes story, if you'll read on just a few verses later, Jesus tells those people, you guys are following me because I gave you a free lunch. But I'll tell you what you should do. If you really want to eat something, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You can read the story. People start to leave Christ. They're like, man, this is a tough lesson. Who can do this? This is nuts. And they start to leave. And it says that they, they, the masses were leaving. And, and interestingly, Jesus did not run after them. I can't imagine that. But he didn't. It's like he was calling the herd because he realized that this great story that we, we grace our flannel boards with and BBS, and we tell everybody about the loaves and fishes. Jesus let them go. In fact, he made them go in a way. And then on top of that, he turns to his closest disciples. He says, are y'all going to leave me too? There's the door. I'm not stopping you. It's right there, it says exit on. And amazingly, Peter piped up and said, what else can we go you're the only one that has the words of life. For many, even the majority of folks in this world who call themselves Christians today, they talk the talk, but they, they don't walk the walk. And I think we're all guilty. I'm, I'm guilty to an extent, certainly. But I want to close with a story because we're really good at, at missing the point and, and grabbing all the wrong things. Max Lucado said, the story is told of a man on an African safari deep in the jungle. The guy before him had a machete and was whacking away the trail weeds and thick underbrush. The traveler, wearied and hot, asked in frustration, where are we? Do you know where you're taking me? Where's the path? The seasoned guide stopped and looked back at the man and replied, I am the path. So many times we want Jesus to do this and do that, but we're not willing to really follow Jesus the way he walked. Max Lakeda says, we ask the same questions, don't we? We ask God, where are you taking me? Where is this path? And he, like the guy, doesn't tell us. Oh, he may give us a hint or two, but that's all. If he did, would we understand? Would we comprehend our location? No, like the traveler, we are unacquainted with this jungle called life. So rather than give us an answer, Jesus gives us a far greater gift. He gives us himself. Does he remove the jungle? Nope, the vegetation is still thick. Does he purge the predators? Nope, danger still lurks. Jesus doesn't give hope by changing the jungle. He restores our hope by giving us himself. And he has promised us to stay with us until the very end. He says in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So as we approach 2021, my question is this. How do you view your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it your oxygen or is it an accessory? Is it your lifeline or is it like a piece of your wardrobe, a ball cap that you like? You take on and take off, favorite purse, 
you know, it doesn't go with this, it doesn't go with this outfit, so I'm just going to leave it there on the bed. Because Jesus Christ has called you to something that cannot be removed from you. Not something outward that you can shed when you feel like it. It's something inward that's a part of who you are, like the heart beating in your chest. Your marriage, your life, your words, your tongue, your, your whole body, it's not yours anymore if you're following Christ. You are a temple to show others what God looks like, where God lives and dwells. You cannot be strong in 2021 if you do not realize that Jesus Christ is worth every bit of your life. And to find life, to find a strong life in 2021, you have to lose your life first at the foot of the cross. Maybe we need to do that regularly. I know I do. We have to lose our lives so God can once again pick it up, resurrect it, and live through you. Because like the Elliots, we have to realize his love is better than life. His love is our life. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the way and the truth of the life. Forgive me, God. Forgive us for settling for shortcuts. Microwave Christianity that's, that feels good to us and it goes a certain distance and then it stops, which is where you begin. Lord God, I ask you for revival. Let it start with us as we die. We find ourselves at the same time in you. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.